Well, good morning to you all. Good to be back with you. I should probably update you with a few things. Uh, First of all, after 30-some years as a season ticket holder at the College World Series, uh, they raised the price one too many times. (laughs) So I'm going to watch it from the friendly confines of the Husker Man Cave in Branson, Missouri this year. That's one update for you. Uh, the second update is uh, just to let you know what I've been up to, uh, because I am up to things all the time. Uh, when we moved to Branson, we joined a, uh, a mission church by the name of Praise and Worship, and they have in their background a desire not to get big, but to also plant churches. When they get up to about 200 people, they decide rather than getting any bigger and building on, they just plant another church. Some of you know that uh, a couple of years ago, I, along with a few friends, started a coffee house ministry called The Grind. We are the grind guys. We gather, grow, grind, and grow. And after talking about that for a while, we finally decided, what the heck, I'm only 77 years old. Why not start a new church? And so I'm out of retirement. And uh, eight weeks ago, we launched Restore. Now, you probably can't see this back here. Uh, That's a little logo. It looks like R-E-S and the T looks like a cross. And Restore is a missional community that sits in Hollister, which is, I call it a suburb, if you will, of Branson. And uh, the location we have is right in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of a one square mile of 1,328 housing units, many of which are low-income, broken families, single-parent families, a lot of brokenness. We're right across the street from Hollister High School, junior high school, middle school, elementary school, all those kind of things. A lot of these kids, they don't get much food other than what they get at school. And so we didn't start something where we were going to be a church and we did an occasional mission or ministry We were going to be a ministry of which only one part of it is worship. Now, we've been at it for eight weeks, so this is my first week off. I hope they don't close it while I'm gone. (laughs) But we've been having a a great time doing this. And I would just uh, really enjoy it if you guys would pray for us. Uh, I took the grind guys, so we've got the old guy. That's me, who's the lead and pastor. We've got a uh, techno geek. He's big into Comic-Con and uh, cosplay and all that kind of good stuff. He takes care of getting it all online. And we've got a musician, and we've also got a a Marine who's in charge of logistics. And uh, he made sure that we had security in place the first week. (laughs) I'm not supposed to know that, but I know that. That's what happens when you're in charge. Well... Uh, today's message, let's get to the message, is the ultimate reversal of fortune. Now, in spite of the fact that I have a Husker t-shirt on today, I'm not going to talk about what we hope is going to happen in the fall of 2020, the ultimate reversal of fortune. Instead, it is this uh, short story about two guys who went up to the temple and they prayed. One was this Pharisee, the other one was a tax collector. Now, it doesn't take a real genius to work this story out. The Pharisee is supposed to be the good guy. The tax collector, of course, is supposed to be the bad guy. And when you read the first part of the story here, you're supposed to cheer the Pharisee because you're supposed to want to be like him. He's a good guy. 
And when you read about the tax collector, what you're supposed to do is hiss and boo and throw rotten fruit or something at him because you know he's a genuine, honest-to-goodness bad guy. Now, the amazing thing about this story to me is that Jesus starts with a good guy and a bad guy. And by the time the story is done, the good guy has become the bad guy and the bad guy has become the good guy. Now, we did, we're going to dig a little deeper into this. I'm going to make a couple of comments. First of all, the good man in this story, let's be honest, he's genuinely a good guy. I mean, he's a Pharisee. Now, in this day, if I were to call any of you after church a Pharisee, you'd be offended. But back in Jesus' day, uh, if you called somebody a Pharisee, they would say thank you. Uh, in fact, to be a Pharisee was to be the highest ranking person in that culture. And historians tell us there were never very many of them, only a few thousand of them. But they were a small group of men who were widely respected for their service to the Lord. And that's why when you read this story and you hear the story one more time, it says the Pharisee went to pray. You're all going to go, wow, let's listen in because this is going to be really good. This guy's a real prayer. But then when you hear the story about the tax collector, you're supposed to hiss and boo because these were men who got rich by collecting taxes for the Romans. They'd collect your taxes. They'd give some of the money to the Romans. They'd pocket the rest. I mean, these were lying, dirty cheats. And people hated him because they worked with the Romans as well. So when you read the story about this Pharisee, a number of specific uh, statements are made about this Pharisee's piety. And I want you to notice as I go through this, everything the Pharisee says about himself is absolutely true. He says, I fast twice a week. How many of you fast twice a week? Yeah, I kind of doubted it. (laughs) You can probably tell I don't fast much often either. Uh, I get fast at the table. That's about as good as I do. But the Pharisees actually fasted twice a week. They fasted on Monday and Thursday of every week. He also said, I give tithes, 10% of all I possess. Now, he did not tax on the gross. He, 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 he tithes on the gross, but not on the net. And he went beyond the law of Moses. So that's no big deal because every Pharisee was a tither. He also says, I'm not a crook. And guess what? He was not a crook. And then he also says, and by the way, you see the guy in the back row? I'm not like that filthy tax collector back there. And he really wasn't like that guy at all. He also said, I I don't commit adultery. I mean, he really didn't commit adultery. He, He loved his wife. He said, I'm honest, I'm faithful, I'm zealous for my religion. And he meant every last word of it. And every word was true. He was truly a good man. Anybody here Boy Scouts? Boy, I'm the only one. Okay, a couple of you. If you ever remember this, a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. That's the scout law. I learned that in Seward, Nebraska as a Boy Scout. This is the kind of guy you're talking about when you're talking about the Pharisee. And when I read his prayer... I was reminded also of an old Mac Davis country song that said, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. (laughs) See, what we're to understand is this. When this guy prayed, he was telling the absolute truth. When he said, Lord, you are lucky to have a guy like me because I'm one of the best guys you know. 
It was true. He was an absolute wonderful man. And I'll tell you, he's the kind of guy you'd want living next door to you. In fact, I think he'd be a guy that you'd really enjoy having come to Word of Life. Now, why is that? You'd love him because he'd be faithful. He'd be here every church service, morning, evening, noon, and night. He'd help cleaning the church. He's loyal. And guess what? He'd give you lots of money. And you would probably make him an elder or the third assistant to the pastor or something like that. Your pastor's nodding his head. He needs one, I guess. And, and that's why this story is so shocking. Everything he says about himself is true. Yet Jesus said this man who looked good on the outside was absolutely lost. Now, my second comment on this story is that if the Pharisee is genuinely good, the tax collector is genuinely bad. Now, it reminded me of an old... Anybody heard of Patty Loveless? Country Western people, okay. She sings this song, she says, Blame it on your lying, cheating, cold, dead, beaten, double, dealing, mean, mistreating, loving heart. This was, this was the tax collector. So when you say so the tax collector, he was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He's no good. He'd rob you blind. And I'll bet there wasn't a person in all of Israel in Jesus' day that didn't think this guy was an absolute scum of the earth. So when I say he was a dirty, rotten sinner, I'm not saying anything more than what he said about himself in his prayer. And what was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, there's something in the original text you ought to know. You ought to read the original text sometime. Read it in Greek. That's fun. The Greek actually says, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He personalized it. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He says, I'm the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of all sinners. I'm as bad as bad can be. And when he said, God be merciful to me, the sinner... We are to understand that the people who heard him say that probably said, Amen, Amen, you are the worst of all sinners. That's why you don't come up front and sit in the front row of church. And the shock of this story, a man as good as you can be on a moral basis, and the man as bad as you can possibly be in terms of the morality of the world, the good man ends up being lost, and the bad man ends up being saved. This is this sweet swap, if you will, or this is the absolute reversal of fortunes. So let's ask this question. Why was the bad man saved? See, the bad man was saved because of what he prayed. You remember what he prayed? He said, God be merciful to me, the sinner. He had the, he had the prayer right. He prayed to God, praying to the right person. He said, be merciful... That's the right request. And he said, to me, the sinner, that's the right confession. That's an amazingly simple prayer, only seven words. He doesn't add any adjectives. He doesn't throw in a word like penitent, although I'm sure he was penitent. He doesn't throw out a word like reformed, although we pretty much can guess that his life was completely changed after that day. He doesn't say honest in spite of the fact that he was far more honest than the Pharisee. He just clings to nothing except the mercy of God. Because if God's mercy can't save him, guess what, friends? 
The same thing is true for you and me. If we cannot depend on God's mercy, we have absolutely no hope. That's his request. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, I know you're all Old Testament Bible scholars, right? That little phrase ought to jump you back to a hyperlink or a what I call connections in the biblical narrative in the Old Testament when on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood of a goat on the mercy seat, which is the golden covering of the Ark of the Covenant. So some of you don't know what the Ark of the Covenant. Go back and watch Indiana Jones. Uh, He can show you all about the Ark of the Covenant. But by sprinkling this blood of the goat, uh, the high priest demonstrated that this was God's way of forgiveness that always involved what? A bloody sacrifice. And so what this tax collector was saying is this, God be to me as you are when you look down and see the blood on the mercy seat. Very literally, he was praying, oh God, be merciful to me, not on the basis of of what I've done, but be merciful on the basis of the blood that's been shed by a substitute. Now, we get up to that point, you probably should think, well, what does the blood on the mercy seat have to do with us? Well, we've got to jump out of the Old Testament back in the New Testament. It points to Jesus, who died on the cross, and who shed his blood. Why? So that the sins of the entire world could be forgiven. And so by virtue of the blood of Jesus, you know, even when you have communion, you, you talk about the very blood of Jesus Christ given and shed for you for what? For the forgiveness of your sins. That's how we get our sins forgiven. So the bad man who had wasted his life, this crook, this cheat, this bad dude came to God and asked for mercy. And looking back, I guess if I were going to paraphrase his prayer, maybe he was praying like this. Oh, God, be merciful to me on the basis of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. For God, forgive me, not because of what I've done, not because of what I deserve, but by virtue of the sprinkled blood of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we get to the end of the story. I can almost remember this, you know, growing up in Seward, Nebraska, St. John's Lutheran School. And I don't know if I was in first and second grade with Miss Grotelution or if I was in third and fourth grade with Miss Bartles. I can't remember where it was. Or maybe in fifth and sixth grade with Mr. Schmeeding. When I got to the end of the story and I heard these words, and I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. And I wanted to say, oh, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. You've been telling me I should be good, but good isn't going to do me anything. So this man, this bad man, this sinful man, this thief, this tax collector went home justified. And what about the so-called good guy, the Pharisee, the moral law-abiding man? He went home still in his sin. That's the amazing reversal of fortune. The bad man went home justified. He went home forgiven. He went home with his sins completely washed away. He went home in possession of eternal life. And the Pharisee, he just went home lost. Now, why? Well, what the text says is two men went up to the temple. And very literally, it says the Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself. 
It's kind of what I call an announcatory prayer. I don't know if any of you do that. You pray loud and announce it mostly to the people who are listening to you rather than talking to God. You ever pray an announcatory prayer? I'll confess. You don't need to confess. But he was just informing God of his credentials. It was self, spiritual self Congratulations. God, I'm such a wonderful man. You are absolutely lucky to have somebody like me. And so this man, this Pharisee, who prayed that way, went home self-deceived. And the tax collector went home justified on the basis of the mercy of God expressed in that bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, know something else here. There's another point. This is immediate salvation. This man prayed and boom, he was saved. Just like that. Now, some of you might say, come on, Pastor, it's not that easy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Some of you might say, well, don't you have to do something to be saved? This guy didn't do squat. Well, you've you got to promise something, don't you? This man didn't promise anything. Well, come on, Pastor, you've got to make a deal with God. This, this guy didn't make a deal. He didn't have anything to deal with. He simply cried out for mercy, and the mercy of God was given to him. He didn't deserve it, yet God gave it to him. The Pharisee thought he deserved everything, and he missed it. The tax collector knew he did not deserve it, and because of it, he knew he didn't deserve it, therefore he received it. I kind of like the old-fashioned uh, confession this morning. I am a poor, miserable sinner. Now, at our new place, we call these words of brokenness because we're in a broken community. And rather than the absolution, we call them words of restoration because we're, we're in the business of restoring broken lives. And guess what? Here's a room full of broken people who need to be restored, not because we all look good, or because we have a Husker shirt on, or anything like that, but because we throw ourselves on the very mercy of God. I think that's pretty amazing. I think Jesus is kind of closing. He teaches us three important truths. You know, the Pharisees went through all of this religious mumbo-jumbo, but it, it teaches us about the danger of religious self-deception. See, not a thing this Pharisee said was untrue, the things he was doing was really good stuff, but because it was all outward and it had nothing to do with the inside, he walked away deceived. So friends, I'm going to tell you, religion, even good religion, leads you to hell instead of heaven. If it's not accompanied by a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now why is that? Well, if you're going to try to do it that way, it will make you focus always on the external. It will make you feel spiritually superior to all kinds of people around you. It will make you look down your nose at other people. And it will draw you away slowly but surely from total dependence upon God. See, religion, even good religion without Jesus, sends you to only one place. I hate to be so blunt. To hell. And you know what's so dangerous about that? See, without a life-changing encounter with Jesus... Religion takes you away from the Lord while you're, make, while you're thinking that you're on your way to heaven. Here's another truth. 
and it's that the worst sinners often make the best candidates for salvation. That's kind of interesting. Uh, after the first week we opened at Restore, a guy came up and he said, can we start a men's group? I said, you want one? He said, yeah. I said, I said you're in charge. That's where we do it. You're in charge. He said, okay. He's a mechanic, fixes the school buses, has some church background. The very first week we had eight guys there. And now after we've been meeting for eight weeks, I guess, I can count uh, ten divorces between the guys that have showed up. One man's been divorced four times, another guy three, and another guy three. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Broken people who need to be restored. And sometimes worse sinners make the best candidates. See, if you fit in this category of sinner this morning, uh, I pray that you run to the cross and embrace the cross as your hope for salvation, because the worst sinners can be saved. I worked at Angola Prison, the largest maximum security prison in America, Angola, Louisiana, for, I don't know, 25 years, and these are the worst of the worst. Guys who are serving life sentences with no hope of parole, but thank God that's finally changing down there for many guys. But I have seen so many people that were counted as the worst of the worst become the best of the best because they know who Jesus Christ is. Well, there's a third truth here, and that's your only hope to heaven is to do what this bad man did. And that's to cry out to God, which we've done this morning, to cry out to God for his mercy based on the blood of Jesus. And that's about as plain as I can say it. And so that's a prayer that God always delights to answer. So I'd ask you all a question this morning. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but do you want to go to heaven someday when you leave this world? I've got really great news for you. You've got to get there by the grace of God. Or you won't get there at all. See, salvation begins when a person... Man, woman, child care, how old you are, how young you are. It's when you, it begins when you realize that you can't do it yourself. The door to heaven, if there is such a thing, it talks about the gates of heaven. If they had doors up in heaven, I'd almost have picture a sign up there that said, for sinners only. And if you qualify, come on in. That's because Jesus came into this world to die for sinners and for no one else. That's why the Pharisees lost, even though he was good, and the tax collector was saved, even though he was, quote, bad. One man held on to his good works, while the other man just hung on to the mercy of God. See, in heaven there is no place for good sinners. As long as you hang on to this shred of goodness that you think somehow you're going to deserve it, Go stand with the Pharisee. But if you're willing to sell, call yourself exactly what you are, we've all done that already today. Poor, miserable, miserable sinners. Boom. Save now. You know, it's such a very simple prayer. I'm going to say it one time, and I want you to say it together with me. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Say it together. God be merciful to me, the sinner. See, if you would say that prayer and understand it in its fullest meaning, I can tell you where you're going to end up someday. It's called heaven. You see, the meaning of this parable, I could boil it down to one sentence. God, be merciful to me on the basis of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. 
God bless all of you.